Hello and welcome to episode 154 of Aussie Tells All. Just wanted to let you guys know that Ben Cromer, my partner in crime for my crime pods, murder pods, um, is taking a little, taking a little hiatus because his phone is a piece of crap. Um, and he can't get the Anchor app on his phone because he has no space on his phone. So he's going to get a new phone over Christmas and hopefully get back to it. So in the meantime, um, I'm going to share a couple of Australian murder stories with you and see, you know, um, how it goes. So here we go. So first one I have here, let's do the Stone Tail Murders first. So, it's John Bunting, Robert Wagner, and James Velasquez. Um, Adelaide, um, Australia, is known for as the city of churches, the capital of the south of Australia. Several people have gone missing in the Adelaide area. Police follow Wagner and Bunting to Snowton, where they find one of the missing girls' vehicle. There's a, quote, bank across the street. They open up the safe and find wall of black plastic and find six barrels, knives, hydrochloric acid, and human remains decomposed. Very disturbing. Very disturbing. On May 21st of 1999, they arrest Wagner, Bunting, and Mark Hayden, who was the husband of missing woman Elizabeth Hayden. Hydrochloric acid preserves the bones, not dissolves the bones. Testing shows eight bodies were found in the barrels. A day after the arrest, police get an anonymous call that two bodies were found in the backyard of the house where John Bunting was living. Huh. That is a very peculiar story. Vlaskis was arrested and gave police information on the first murder victim of John Bunting. Bunting had a wall of names who need to, need to be killed. Most of them were pedophiles. So more of like a mercy killing or, you know, hard to say what I'm trying to say, but, you know, one of those things. Uh, Bunting was raped as a young boy, so that can fuck one up, you would say, you would think. Uh, Velasquez is giving up everyone involved in the murders, and the barrels were originally stored in Mark Hayden's garage but then moved to that bank, and that's where the investigation turned. <laughs> Wagner and Bunting took a nice bite out of the last victim. So, cannib- cannibalism? Cannibalism? 33 counts of murder combined for the four men. All 12 victims were people known of the four men. Flaskus pleads guilty to four counts of murder. Gets 26 years of prison. Mark Hayden assisted with disposing bodies. He gets 25 years. 
You know, he didn't murder anybody. Kind of weird. Um, Wagner pleads guilty to only three of the 11 counts of murder. Bunting not guilty on 12 counts of murder. And then he pleads guilty. Um, they recorded all the murders as they were happening, which was played in the courtroom. Kind of disturbing to hear as well. Um, but September 2003, Wagner found guilty of 10 counts of murder, gets life in prison. And Bunting gets 11 counts of murder. The 12th murder can't determine cause of death. So also gets life in prison with no parole. And finally, Bunting's first murder was in 1994. Body wasn't found till five years later. If it was found earlier, the other murders could have been avoided. Um, yeah, so um, it's very disturbing to see that happen, but... Um, it did happen, and hopefully cops can learn from this mistakes and maybe do better investigative reporting. But last, least, least this were found, but the disposing of the bodies, decomposing bodies, was, was very um, sickening and uh, very disturbing. And um, I'm glad they got what they come for them. So that's the Snowtown murders. Now... Um, we do have Eric Edgar Cook as well. He was also known as the Night Caller, the profile. He didn't discriminate who he killed, men and women of all ages, most of which were asleep. He did random killings with no known motives. He was born near Perth in 1931. He was the oldest of three children he was born into a shockingly unhappy family. His parents married only because his mom was pregnant with him, and his alcoholic father beat him especially when he tried to protect his mom from dad's drunken rages. And on occasion, he would be put in orphanages or foster homes. His mom would sleep, sleep, you work out, your work at work or in hotel rooms. Eric would go to a friend's house to avoid the beatings. And Cook was frequently hospitalized for head injuries and had suspected brain damage because of his accident proneness. Later it was questioned whether this was due to re repressed suicidal tendencies he also suffered from recurrent headaches and was once admitted to an asylum. His reported blackouts later stopped after an operation in 1949. Um, Cook was born with a, a hair lip and a cleft palate, for which he had one operation when he was three months old. Another, another, another one was three and a half. Surgical operations to repair the Deforma deformities were not totally successful and left him with a slight facial deformity and he spoke in a mumble. These handicaps made him the target of bullying at school. Um, in the book, 
uh, Broken Lives, journalist Estelle Blackburn's telling of the murders. He is described as a short, slight man with dark, wavy hair and a twisted mouth. Cook's dis- disfigurements made him ashamed, shy, and emotionally unstable at a young age due to the beatings and bullying that came with it. He would keep getting bullied, eventually left school at age 14 to help support his mom. He would steal money, teacher's purse, then vandalism, then burglary and such. He would cut out articles of his crime so he might gain friends and notoriety. Fast forward a few years, police link him to arson, burglary, breaking and entering, and so much more. So he had to be careful for future crimes. Then he got married and had seven kids. After marriage, Cook was arrested several times as a peeping Tom and for other minor offenses. In 1925, he was arrested for stealing a car and sentenced to two years hard labor. After his release, he took to wearing women's gloves while committing crimes in order to avoid avoid leaving fingerprints. Perth, Australia in 1960s. It was country town. People would keep their doors unlocked on cars and houses. The murders are happening. January 29, 1959, Patricia Berkman, age 24, plunged a knife into her plunged a knife into her face, then stabs her in her heart. Now she's dead. Then he was gone. This happened in the middle of the night. 1963, a young couple sitting in their car sees a man lurking in his car, staring at them. The man opens fire, hits the man in the neck slices him open then smashing into the woman's wrist but they escaped the night caller goes out to find new victims oh he stole a car too he finds 29 year old brian weir asleep and shoots him in the head but he lived miraculously for three years as a vegetable until he succumbed to his death he's off to find another victim that same that same night He's 0 for 3 so far. He finds 19-year-old John Sturkey sleeping. He fires point-blank range at his skull skull, and runs off. Rushed to the hospital and is pronounced dead on the scene. This time, he rings the bell, then backs into shadows. Light comes on, and 54-year-old George Walmsley is short is shot and died on operating table at the hospital. He dumps his stolen gun in the swan in the Swan River and then dumps his stolen car and returns home like nothing has happened. Yeah, sure. Makes sense. January nineteen January nineteen sixty three. Police believed the two killings and three wounded in the same night is from the same man or woman. Now, people of Perth go to bed with rifles, baseball bats, and in lack and lock the windows and doors with killer on the loose. Police would come to people's houses; they would not answer due to the fear of the night caller. A back door is left unlocked. The night caller enters. He finds two girls, and he's strangled twenty-four 
24-year-old Lucy Madrill. So now she's unconscious. He takes a cord from the lamp, wraps it around her neck until she dies, then has sex with the dead body, then drags it on the next door lawn, sticks a whiskey bottle in her arms, and he left the body out for display for his own enjoyment. Six months pass since the strangling. 18-year-old babysitter Shirley McLeod, the night callers, enters the home, finds her asleep, shoots her at her, shoots at her with his stolen rifle, then disappears to the night. Couple arrive home at 2 a.m., find a bullet in her forehead. Police are sure that all the murders are linked. A fingerprint is found and testing everyone in district and no matches. An elderly couple walking down a path find a rifle hidden in some bushes. So rifles get tested for ballistic tests and a mat in his match of murder of the babysitter. The police bring the rifle back where it was. This time they tie some fishing line to it. Police hide out for two weeks. And at 1.30 a.m. in 1963... A car pulls up, walks towards the rifle. He grabs the rifle. Police move in. They found a matching bullet in his car, and he is arrested. And he is charged with murder of Shirley McLeod. He confessed to other murders and shootings. Other After police, agents said, You gonna hang? He said. He injured seven women on a hit and run with various different stolen cars. In 1959, he steals a hatchet and kills 19-year-old Jillian Brewer, stabs her many times, then took some lemonade, then drank it in her backyard, then hacks at her butchered corpse with scissors. The 19-year-old pleads guilty for life. Rosemary Anderson, 17, is killed on a hit and run. Another guy, John Button, is arrested for hit, for this murder who took care of her, and police wanted confession and got confession 10 years in jail. He's only on trial for one murder. He pleads not guilty. Grounds of insanity. Jury deliberated for one hour and found guilty. Sentenced to hanging. Meanwhile, the other two men still serving time in jail. The false confessions. Ten minutes before he's hung, he admits, I killed Rosemary and Julian of the two murders of the other two who are jailed for. In summation, he had eight killings and 14 attempted murders. October 26, 1964, he is hung, and he was the last person to be hung in Western Australia, and he was buried next to female circular from 1909. And finally, Cook appeared at both the men's appeals and judge declined release. Button was paroled after five years and Daryl served 15 years. And after 40 years, a judge pardoned them, both saying it was a miscarriage of justice. What a damn shame. So long.